Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book Tiger Woods. Keep listening to find out how not to become a golfing legend. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back and listening to another episode of Steph's Business Bookshelf. Great to have you here. This episode is sponsored by me, Steph Clark, and my facilitation business. If you're planning a team event, some training, leadership workshops for the rest of the year, which I know a lot of you are, and you're looking for someone to bring that content to life, help the conversation flow, and move things in maybe a slightly more creative and different direction, then let me know. All my contact details are in the show notes, and it'd be great to have a conversation. I'm also looking for some companies at the moment who are interested in creating an internal podcast to help share the stories of their people, whether that's around the world, around the country, or even in the same office. As you can probably tell, I'm a big fan of podcasts and podcasting, and I think there is a huge opportunity in companies to use this as an internal medium of communication rather than just sending another email. So if that's of interest to you and you would like to explore a bit more and find out more about how you can create a a private podcast for your organization, get in touch too. As I said, all the contact details are in the show notes. Now, this week's book is a really interesting one because it was probably the book that I've read in the last six months or so that I could not put down. I've read some really good books, as you will have heard, but this one I just devoured in a really short space of time. I also bought my dad a copy and he read that on holiday recently and he had the same experience. He's a big golf fan, so I thought he'd be interested for multiple reasons. But it just was such an interesting look at inverted commas greatness. And it was really interesting trying to pull the big ideas around because there's so many of these almost, the the book is almost written as a, a guide of how not to do life, basically. And certainly I'd say, if I'm being very critical, how not to bring up children but that's a separate conversation altogether. So this week's big ideas, I've put together some big ideas as I normally do. And I've also put a couple of lessons in there in relation to the big ideas, because like I said, the ideas that you take from the book are very much what not to do. Now, whether you think you like Tiger Woods or not, I would highly recommend reading this book. It was just fascinating. There are some criticisms as there always are with these kind of biographies, autobiographies online around how true some of the stories are, some questions around some integrity of some of the people who provided stories. That said, there's there's so much in there that you kind of think, well, there must be something going on for these to be the things that came out. So those caveats aside, let's go in a little bit more about the book. In 2009, Tiger Woods was the most famous athlete on the planet, a transcendent star of the most unfathomable fame and fortune living what appeared to be the perfect life. But it turned out that he'd been living a double life for years. One that exploded in the aftermath of a Thanksgiving night crash that exposed his serial infidelity and sent his personal and professional lives over a cliff. In this searing biography of golf's most blazing talent, Jeff Benedict and Armand Ketian dig deep behind the headlines to produce a richly reported answer to the question that has mystified millions of sports fans for nearly a decade. Who is Tiger Woods really? Drawing on more than 400 interviews with people from every corner of Woods' life, many of whom have never spoken about him on the record before, Benedict and Ketian reconstruct a captivating psychological profile of a mixed-race child programmed by an attention-grabbing father and the original Tiger Mum to be the chosen one, to change not just the game of golf, but the world as well. But at what cost? 
the authors provide the startling answers in this definitive biography that is destined to linger in the minds of readers for years to come. And that's taken from the Simon & Schuster website, link in the show notes. A little bit about the authors. Jeff Benedict is a New York Times bestselling author, a special features writer for Sports Illustrated, and a television and film producer. He's also written for the New York Times and Los Angeles Times, and his stories have been the basis for segments on 60 Minutes, 2020, 48 Hours, Good Morning America, CBS Sunday Morning, the NFL Network, HBO Real Sports, CNN, and the Discovery Channel. He's written 15 books, 15, including the New York Times bestselling autobiography of the Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young. He lives with his wife and four children in Connecticut. Armand Ketian is a CBS News correspondent based in New York and an 11-time Emmy Award winner. 11 times. He is widely regarded as one of the finest investigative journalists in the country. A former writer-reporter at Sports Illustrated, he is also the author and co-author of 10 previous books, including the New York Times bestsellers Raw Recruits and The System. Born and raised in Michigan, he now lives with his wife Dee Dee in Fairfield, Connecticut and San Clement, California. Again, taken from the Simon & Schuster website, link in the show notes. As I mentioned earlier, my dad is a big golf fan. He's been playing with questioning ability, I will say, because he doesn't listen, for 40 odd years. So he grew up watching a lot of golf. There's a lot of golf on the TV, a lot of golf chat at home. Sometimes just one directional, but there was still golf around. And obviously, even if you didn't like golf and had no interest in it, you couldn't escape Tiger Woods. What I hadn't appreciated until I read this book was how much he fundamentally changed the sport. Beyond recognition in terms of the athleticism, in terms of the competition available, in terms of the prize money and the sponsorship and actually the funding of it, to the extent that in the book they talk about how if Tiger Woods hadn't happened to the sport, what would the sport actually be now? Would it still be what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago? And would it be losing a lot of interest? If you look at a lot of the younger players coming through now again you can see that kind of influence hopefully from the athleticism perspective rather than some of the other aspects of tiger's life and the way that they are treating it like a sport like and as athletes so on that let's get into the three big ideas i took from the book tiger woods big idea number one is keep your friends close but be nice to them Tiger had a really small circle of friends and particularly when he was growing up probably didn't have that many friends He was pretty shy and spent a lot of his time playing golf. And as he became very good very early on in his life, that meant he was missing some school and and going off to tournaments, etc. Even with his small circle of friends, it seems that he didn't share much. But people gave a lot to him. Now, sometimes there's a question about why some of those people gave so much and maybe some ulterior motives along the way. But for a lot of the people around him that were very close over his life, it seemed that they had real genuine, his genuine interests at at heart and wanted him to be happy and do well and succeed. But those people who gave a lot to him would often be suddenly dropped, never to be told directly, usually someone else would do the dropping, or ever to really find out why. This happened with caddies, with managers, with agents, with various people around him, even his long-term girlfriend. And when they were around, There was minimal thank yous. There wasn't a lot of gratitude shown. There was a fair amount of entitlement, it seemed, from the way that he treated them. You can see later on in his life when things started to unravel a little bit that this lack of support system really probably, whether it was the cause or not, but probably had a lot to do with how things played out. He wasn't exactly strong at sharing things or admitting to struggling. 
in the book it talks a lot about how his father Earl would use prisoner of war tactics basically to toughen Tiger up at a young age throwing racist slurs at him while he was practicing being really unpleasant to try and toughen him up and there was a safety word but Tiger apparently never uttered it he never said enough and never said when he needed help so it's interesting to see how that potentially played out later in his life without those people around him because he was pretty private and kept things pretty close to never know how to ask for help or how to say enough so the lesson I took here is to say thank you for a start please to people who are around you those in your support network and to have a support network this would have helped Tiger a huge amount later on like I mentioned so knowing who's around you and who you can be truly it's a very buzzword at the moment but truly vulnerable with and say I'm really struggling with this I don't know how to approach this situation I've made a mistake I need some help getting out of it because all of those things will be needed at some point through your life so that was big idea number one keep your friends close but be nice to them big idea number two was go back to basics so at the peak of his career tiger redid his swing this was huge this is like a painter deciding to start painting with their other hand this is the fundamentals of what made tiger great was his swing so people thought this was absolute madness or career suicide changing your swing at the height of your career and for what or so they thought or so it seemed oh and he didn't just do this once this happened a couple of times partly sometimes through injury at one point it was because he actually got so strong in his upper body when he was going through a big phase of doing a lot of heavy weightlifting and, and bodybuilding that his body didn't move in the same way anymore so he had to adapt his swing What's clear in the book though from reading about these particular changes is that he had such deep understanding of the core principles and fundamentals of the of golf and of the swing and of the and the physics of what makes someone brilliant at golf those tiny 1% changes but he could make those changes because he understood exactly what needed to happen and what needed to change and the obsession and the dedication to put in the work to do that that did mean taking a couple of steps back to then take many steps forward but he was able to put up with that which for someone who is it's so incredibly competitive and quite cutthroat in his competitiveness he knew how to play the long game and I suppose golf is a bit of a long game in many aspects and senses of the word so he was able to take those defeats and not winning some of those tournaments because he knew what the outcome was going to be of making those tiny tweaks and those ultimately big shifts to his swing and to his game. So the lesson I took from this was don't be afraid to tweak the basics. Even if you're at the top of your game, really think about what's going to get you ahead. What could really shift the dial? And it might be going back to undoing and redoing something and unlearning and relearning something that is pretty deeply embedded in your psychology, biology, physiology, whatever it might be. So big idea number 2, go back to basics. Big idea number three is more of a question than an idea, which is, is this the cost of greatness? As I mentioned, Tiger suffered from a huge separation from others. He had parents on both extremes. He had his dad, who was incredibly tough and would really work Tiger because he wanted to create a great. But then he had his mum, was who was incredibly protective and would almost never let Tiger suffer from anything else other than at the hands of his dad. So reading the book, you kind of think, well. 
there's no no wonder he turned out the way he did look at his parents like i said those extreme styles that they put forward in their parenting so no wonder he did what he did and no wonder he fell into some of the traps that he did which is a very deterministic way of thinking about it so there is also the other side of psychology so determinism is much more of a jungian psychology and you can read or listen to some more about that in the courage to be disliked i will put a link to that in the show notes but there's also the other side of psychology or the adlerian side of psychology that says well actually no determinism doesn't exist everything is your choice so just because you've been brought up a certain way or you've experienced certain things you still get to choose how you behave going forward now there's definitely arguments on both sides but there's also the point on you can't be what you can't see or people can't be what they can't see. So if Tiger had never seen some of those behaviours around vulnerability, asking for help, being able to collaborate and have friends and not just see everyone as potential competition, it's hard to learn those things. But you've got to, but there will have been people in his life and there certainly were people in his life who did have a more balanced, shall we say, mindset. So it was interesting to see where he maintained and continued to get his influence from. In terms of the other costs of greatness, the toll on his body that this sport took was phenomenal and he was suffering from ailments and injuries that someone much, much older than him would have done. Because of how many hours and how many reps of the swing of the moves that he had performed at a really early age. He'd probably done as much golf when he was 21 years old as he as most six-year-olds have done. He had a real obsession. And again, you see a little bit of that in other people who are really at the top of their game. But it's how that manifests. So again, is the cost of that being isolating yourself from others, not being able to connect properly with other people because of your obsession with this particular field or sport or achievement. Now, some people, again, might look at that and particularly the obsession that he put into what he was doing and, and winning the four masters and thinking, well, that's what it takes. That's just what it takes to be that successful. But there's so many examples in other biographies and autobiographies you read of other people who managed to get to incredible success, however you want to define that, without isolating people in the way that Tiger did, without turning their life inside out. You know, you have to you only have to look at Warren Buffett, Richard Branson, Arianna Huffington, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates. So many of them have achieved phenomenal success in their respective fields without being the undoing of themselves. So the question remains, is this really the cost of greatness? Do you really have to go to some of those lengths, whether you're the one who is achieving those things or whether you're one of the people supporting them or bringing up the person? Is that really what it takes to be great? How can you nurture that kind of success and that kind of greatness in a way that is a bit more holistic and a bit more balanced? So there's a couple of lessons here around how we define success, but also how we rewrite what we idolize. Because obviously there was a huge press coverage. The sidebar of shame will have been exploding in terms of what was going on with Tiger Woods at that point of his life. But is that okay? And are we consuming and by consuming some of that information are we then feeding the drive for wanting people to fail horribly it's a a really weird human emotion or human condition isn't it to want to to have that morbid fascination with people's lives turning upside down but can we rewrite that and is that really the cost of greatness and the cost of success to have that kind of spotlight on you and to have these kinds of mentalities and, and mindsets 
So there's a lot of there to think about. There we go. Just a, a few big existential questions for you. So there we go. That was big idea or question number three was, is this the cost of greatness? Does this have to be the cost of greatness? So just to recap, big idea number one, keep your friends close, but be nice to them. Big idea number two, go back to basics. And big idea number three, is this the cost of greatness? If you have read the book, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you thought. If you enjoyed the book as much as I did, all the contact details as usual are in the show notes. You can give me a follow on LinkedIn or on Instagram. I post pretty regularly on both of those channels about what I'm reading, but also the work I'm doing with teams and organizations. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading. <laughs>